if my money is not making money, then Vu has to be making the money, right? And Vu has to go to do night shifts, has to, you know, break his back, break his hands, develop shoulder tendonitis, develop hand finger tendonitis, you know, develop back pain, knee pain, whatever it is to do all those shifts to make the money because my money is not making money. Yeah, and you can mathematically calculate that opportunity cost, you know, by by taking, say, $50,000 and parking it into a car. Well, the convenience cost of just renting that vehicle, the tax deductions that came from the leasing versus and taking that 50000 and putting it somewhere else. I mean, mathematically, it always comes out where it makes more sense not to pay cash. The bank based their entire business on using debt, other people's money, which is mine. <laughs> I put it in the bank and then they use mine to now lend it to 10 other people. By the way, I put a dollar, they generate $10, right? It's fractional money. And so they make <laughs> they make the, the difference, the spread 10 times. financial health doc welcome to the financial literacy podcast for healthcare professionals where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo Okay, welcome back, everybody, to the How Is My Financial Health Doc podcast, and I am your host, Vu Ketran. Today, I have with me a good friend and a real expert because he's got a lot of alphabets behind his name, similar to mine, but he's got different alphabets. But we have an expert. Uh, his name is Nick Giovanetti. Uh, Nick is a CFP, so Certified Financial Planner. He's a CLU, a Certified Life Underwriter. He's a CHS. I'm just going to say those alphabets because I don't know what they mean. And he's also a CCS. Again, I don't know what they mean. So Nick, those are three, six alphabets that I'm not familiar with. How about you introduce yourself? Uh, tell us who you are, what do you do? Uh, what's your area expertise, and also maybe clarify for us, what is a CHS and what is a CCS? Yeah, great. Thanks very much for having me, Vu. Um, so a little bit about me, the, the Alphabet Soup Certified Financial Planner, Chartered Life Underwriter, and then the first one here that you asked about, the CHS is actually a Certified Health Insurance Specialist. So this is a specialization all around living benefits. So this could include disability insurance, critical illness insurance, uh, long-term care insurance, and group benefits. So it's a, a specialization in that regard, that kind of niche side of the insurance business. And then a CCS is a certified cash flow specialist. And this has a lot to do with money management, uh, behavioral cash flow spending, money mindset. So really a different take on just giving people a flat budget and saying, here's your budget, go follow it, which we all know is very unlikely to work. And a lot of people rebel against a budget like they do, you know, a, a traditional diet plan. So this is more around changing behavior, modifying behavior, figuring out what type of money mindset you have and figuring out good ways of utilizing your cash flow and debt management. Wow. Okay. That's, that's exciting because money management mindset. That, that for me is um, enlightening. I, I'm looking really forward to listening to that because I did not know that I needed a mindset to manage money. So there you go. I did not know what I did not know. And hoping after today that I've, I'm going to develop the correct mindset. Uh, and you said something really true too. You know, doing a budget gives me hives. Uh, I'm afraid of budgeting. I don't do budgeting. I hate budgeting. It gives me hives. And then I scratch all over and I just abandon it. So when I have something to do, I just I just procrastinate or I hand it over to my wife who does the budget. So um, 
very interesting you say that because I think a lot of us uh, do that and that's that's your experience. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that I think is poorly, poorly understood all over the world. You know, the moment that you were born, when I was born, I had diapers on and I was I did not understand it. I'm now in my late 40s. I still don't understand it. I understand it a little bit more than most people, but I'm hope we're going to clarify some of this. And this is beneficial for people. And what we're talking about today is debt. What is debt and how people define debt and what can we do with debt? And you can't really talk about debt without talking about budget, can you? So that's why that's why you brought that topic up. But I guarantee you guys today in the audience, we're not going to dive too long into budgeting. We're going to dive right into debt. So let's, let's just do that. When, um, when I was a young lad, you know, my dad said to me, uh, my, my, tur- my pet turtle said to me, you know, Vu, when you graduate and you become a doctor, make sure you have no debt. Or if you have debt, make sure you pay it down fast. And then I heard somewhere along the way, you know, different financial gurus saying, by the time you retire, by the time 65, you should have no debt. And just this week alone, I was, you know, looking up uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, all those social media. And I see a lot of financial planners says, manage your debt, manage your debt. You should have no debt. By the time you retire, you should have no debt. So I think they're all wrong. Now, that's my own opinion. uh, And I'll keep it to myself and the wider million people who listens to me. By the way, no, no million people listening to me. There's probably five people listening to me right now. So anyway, between myself and those five people, I think they're all wrong. So you tell me how I should be thinking about this, Nick. Why, why is it that we have a poor understanding of debt in society? Yeah, great question, Boo. And that actually does fall in line a lot with our programming as we're growing up, you know, as a as a young adult or or a young person having their first job is we learn a lot of those things from our parents who most likely learned it from their parents. Uh, It's a it's a topic that's not really discussed or talked about in the education system as we're growing up. And debt really does land in the behavioral space. Different people feel different emotions when they're using debt or not using debt or have debt. So what I would say is when you follow the money, you really get a better understanding of how can debt be properly used and how can debt actually become an income generator for people. And one of the biggest entities that we can look to to say who's using debt properly would be the big banks. The entire banking function utilizes debt. And banks make money in good economies, bad economies, and they're some of the most profitable businesses in the world. And a lot of wealthy individuals have modeled the way they run their own finances off of how the large big banks of the world are are running their finances. So debt can be a very powerful tool. And I think that if you properly understand it and start to build up some confidence around it, you'll find that it's a, a major wealth creator. It's not a negative. First thing, thank you for validating my thought. That's, that's the first thing. But you said something that is very important, is that, well, we don't get proper financial education um, throughout our lifetime. Like, I definitely didn't learn it in high school. I definitely didn't learn it in med school. and definitely didn't learn it, learn it in residency. And then the moment I start working, you know, I have debt to pay and my all my preceptors and, and peers are saying, pay down your debt, pay down your debt. This is what I did. And now after 22 years of practice, I'm like, why did I pay down those debt? Like it didn't make sense. And I spend my lifetime paying down those debt. And then the other half of my lifetime trying to accumulate, right? So why shouldn't I accumulate and pay down debt at the same time? Or why can't I use debt differently? So that's the first thing. The second thing that uh, you mentioned that I think is, is very important is that it is very behavioral. It is very behavioral. Uh, it's how you feel about debt and what, what you associate debt with, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about, about that. And so uh, let's define debt. What, what is debt, in fact, in your mind? 
Yeah. And various people will have different definitions around debt. My definition of debt is you're trying to utilize someone else's money to purchase or create an income from an, uh, an entity that you didn't either, number one, want to tie your money up into. So you had another use for your money at that time, or you just, just didn't have the means to physically purchase what it is you're trying to purchase and you need to uh, pay that off over time. So it's just simply borrowing from one to purchase or get into a, a business opportunity or purchase a, an item that you didn't either want to tie up your money or you didn't have the financial means to buy at that particular time and you're going to pay it off uh, based on some sort of terms, whether that's paid off over a year, five years or what have you. Okay, so let me rephrase that a little bit. So I start with, with the premise that one, I either don't have the money or I don't want to use my money. I am borrowing someone else's money. So either the bank, my dog, my aunt, um, you know, a credit union, whoever it is, a loan shark, right? So I borrow money from someone. And then I use that money to do two things. You said two things. One, I could buy something and that something may increase in value or that something may decrease in value. So if I buy something that increases in value, then I've invested. <laughs> if I bought something that decreased in value, then I just purchased something that will probably over time give me nothing. It's not called investing. It's not called savings, but you just bought something. Or I could use that money to invest in a business, right? You said business or some sort of thing that also grows. So just by saying that alone, if I were to use money that I didn't have or don't want to spend my own and I want to purchase something, you know, ideally I should purchase something that increases in value over time, right? If I purchase something that decreases value over time, then I could be saying that I just wasted money or I wasted someone else's money, but that I have to pay back. Does that, does that ring what you just said there? Yeah, it does. And, and so this kind of dives into good debt versus bad debt, where consumer debt, like if I'm going to go into debt and pay an interest rate to purchase my daily coffee, or purchase a t-shirt, or, you know, something that is not going to increase in value for me, then maybe it makes more sense to pay with cash versus debt. But if I'm looking at, let's say, a, a piece of real estate, and there's some income coming out of that real estate or a business, and there's some income coming out of that, well, then now we might get into a math calculation of, okay, what is it going to cost me to use debt to get into that versus the spread of what I'm making? And is it more efficient for me to utilize somebody else's money and give them almost like a convenience fee for, for utilizing their money? Or does it make sense to give up opportunity cost of what I'm doing with my dollars already to go purchase this appreciating asset or business opportunity. So I think the best thing to do would be to do the math on, does it make sense to, to use my own money for something? Or does it make sense to pay a convenience fee, which is the interest rate for using somebody else's money? I, I really like the way you use the term convenience fee, uh, instead of saying, you know, paying an interest. I mean, it is an interest. But the way you said paying an inconvenience fee really frames, really frames it because I can either borrow money because I didn't have it to begin with, which means, okay, I'm paying someone else to use that money. But I could also have my own money, but I don't want to use it. I want to use someone else's money. So that really is a convenience fee because I already, I already have it. Why would I want someone else's money? Why well, want someone else's money? Because it's a convenience of using the money. So I like that. And it comes back to what you said about the banks. The banks do this all day long. We put our money into the account. They use our money. They give us pittance of an interest. So 0.01%. But then they lend it back to us at 1.5%. <laughs> or they lend it back to us at 1.6%. And they make that spread, right? So the bank base their entire business on using debt, other people's money, which is mine. 
<laughs> I put it in the bank and then they use mine to now lend it to 10 other people. By the way, I put a dollar, they generate $10, right? It's fractional money. And so they make, <laughs> they make the, the difference, the spread 10 times. And so that's a really good use of debt. And it's funny that in life, we listen to our uncle, we listen to our aunts who probably is not as successful as the banks, but we listen to them, but we don't watch what the banks do who are wildly more successful than my aunt and my uncle and definitely more wildly successful than my dog and my turtle. But we listen to our neighbors or turtle or dogs, but we don't listen to our banks. That's That for me is very interesting. Okay, so you've defined good debt, you've defined bad debt. So let's dive into good debt. Let's Let's talk about that first. Absolutely, let's do it. Okay, so we've talked about good debt. So in my mind, good debt is... I'm using other people's money, which I call OPM, not OPM, but OPM. So other people's money, whether it's the bank, the credit union, a loan shark, money from my aunt, whatever, whoever it is. And then I pay them a convenience fee called a interest rate, right? And I take that money, that fund, and now I can purchase several things. Now, a good debt, if I understand you well, is that I purchase something that either generates an income, which will make my net worth better, not my net worth smaller, and that whatever I buy will increase in value as opposed to decrease in value. So as an example, a mortgage. A mortgage, I think, is I'm borrowing, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put my 20% down, and then I'm borrowing 80% from the bank, to have something that I own 100% until I pay it off. But technically speaking, I have 100% of a home I, because I live in it, I use it, you know, I shower in the bathroom, et cetera. So I own 100% of the home, but I use 80% of that as the bank's money. And hopefully my home increases in value. And therefore I've just purchased something that increased in value. So we are very comfortable using mortgage and using debt all day long, right? Uh, I, one of my podcasts is one of the Canadian dream and my Canadian dream was to own a home and Canadians all want to own a home. So having mortgage is a good debt. Do you agree? First question. And second question, if it's a good debt, why do we try to pay down so quickly if it's a good debt? Yeah, great, great question there. And, and your thought is bang on. The Canadian dream, the Western hemisphere, Western side of the world's dream is own your home. And uh, I would say that a mortgage can be a great debt because what you're doing is you're buying into a hard asset that will appreciate in value. And you do have the potential to actually earn some income off of that asset, depending on the, the type of home you're purchasing. Now it's a very large purchase. So again, you either don't have the money to, to purchase it yourself, or you need to pay a convenience fee to be able to get into that piece of property that you want. I think a mortgage is a great debt up until the point, just to add something there, I think up until the point where you can convert said mortgage into a different type of debt, which would be either a home equity line of credit or some sort of different, different lending vehicle tied to that home, one that's not so structured. So my only negative on a mortgage is it's very structured. If you want to break it, there could be some penalties and such. So if you can convert that debt into something like part of a, an open line, a, a home equity line of credit or something of that nature, I think that'll serve you a little bit better. And sorry, Vu, what was the second part of the question? Well, a uh, second part of the question is, if it's such a great debt, if it's if a mortgage is a good debt, because I bought my house yeah. in Toronto and it, cre it increased 7% year after year after year. And I think in 2021, it's even crazier. It went up by 20%, it's even worse. Yeah. So I'm like, oh my God, I just made 20% in my home. Uh, it would be nice if I can eat the bricks, but I can't, I have to sell it, but it's a good debt. <laughs> so if it's a good debt, why do people want to pay it off so fast? Yes, right. So I think that that's just misinformation. And I think that back when we were growing up, you know, interest rates on mortgages were, were quite high. And it did make sense to try and pay off your home quickly because to achieve 18% returns in an investment was not as easy as it, as it may feel. So you'd think, hey, I'm going to pay down my high interest rate at 18%. 
because if I was to use that money somewhere else, I'm not going to earn quite as much. But we're in a low interest rate environment. We're, we're able to lend in the one, two, three percent range where your money, your opportunity cost, what you're missing out on in the business world or investment world, you have the potential to earn a significant amount more. So your money might be better utilized there and you pay a convenience fee on your property of two, three or four percent so that you can use your money elsewhere. I think that the mindset of paying off a home has been sort of passed down from people who were paying high interest rates and not fully understanding the whole reasoning and rationale of why those people wanted to pay off their house as quickly as they did. Right. And I absolutely agree with you. And that was sort of a question to trigger us to think about it. And I'm glad you brought it up is because we're in such a low interest rate environment. You know, the I, I heard like even a, a few months ago was like 0.9%. I'm like, oh my God, I locked in at 1.3, which I thought was amazing. And then someone said 0.9. I'm like, oh my God, why did I lock in? But then again, it's so low, right? It's so low that yeah. if i if i if i just pay uh, instead of instead of paying my house with cash i pay my house put my 20% and use the other cash that i have to put it on the market and the market been going crazy at 21% while well, you know the spread is so high right so the opportunity cost is lost if we did that so in a low interest environment you know there's really no mathematical and financial incentive to pay down the house very quickly yeah, I would, I would say it, we kind of touched on it in the beginning, but we're talking about it's how people feel towards the debt. So once you start to, to feel comfortable with it, you'll realize that logically, it doesn't make a lot of sense to pay off your property, to have it as leveraged as much as you can, so you can utilize that money in another vehicle, something that's going to actually grow your wealth a lot faster and more efficiently and let somebody else provide the financing on your home and you're just paying that small convenience fee on it. And, you know, to talk about the rates, I find that it's, it's you know, you locking in at 1.3%, someone else had 0.9. I mean, tomato, tomato, you, you guys, everybody has a great rate at this point. And I think that when we're using our money efficiently in another spot, that's going to generate more wealth and more income, it can be very powerful. Um, Money tied up in real estate, what's interesting is that a lot of people don't have what's called a mark-to-mark -mark valuation on their home, meaning that it's not like the markets. We're not seeing the value of our home fluctuate all day, every day, like we do with our stocks. And that's why people get a little bit more nervous around investing in the markets than they do having their money tied up in real estate. But realistically, if your neighbor sold for 20% more than what you bought it for, it's not necessarily true that you'll sell it for the same amount, but it's, it's all in our minds. It's the way we think about it and the behavior of it. But on the flip side, money tied up in a house, another term for that is dead capital. Why would it be called dead capital? Because we have money locked in somewhere that we can't utilize and, and generate more income until we, bring into, until we bring debt into the equation. We want other people's money tied up in dead capital so that our money can be somewhere else operating and growing and building more, more wealth for ourselves. We will talk about a solution to that uh, right after this discussion on debt, because I, I really want to drive into that, the, the HELOC and how to free up the debt capital that you were talking about. So one of the example of a good debt is a mortgage, right? We talked about that. Another example of a good debt is if I use the bank's money to start a business that I'm hoping to grow, right? Nobody starts a business and say, I'm going to fail <laughs> and I'm going to close my own my shop. Nobody says that, right? People borrow money so that they can open up a pizza store, a tool, a tool store, a jewelry store, whatever, and hope to make more and increase their net worth. So in that environment, that debt that we borrow from the bank is also a good debt because we're looking to generate an income, looking to increase the value of the, the business that we want to build, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't just happen with, with houses or businesses. There, there may be other opportunity in the sense of, you know, you would rather own and control your own debt, for an example. So some people may find that, let's just say, you know, your child wanted to finance a car. 
it may be advantageous for you to provide the financing for your child's car instead of Ford credit. And the reason why I bring that up is, is because there's ways where you can utilize debt within the family instead of always having to go to market and utilize other people's means of, of getting into debt, which can, can give people that un, unnerving, un, uneasing type of a feeling is when they're indebted to so many various vehicles. And we're seeing that a bit with houses. We're seeing a lot of parents are loaning money to their kids to buy into real estate or parents are creating financing opportunities for their kids to get into business. So there, there's tons of great ways to use debt. doesn't have to just be purchasing real estate or a business. could be simple things like buying a car a different way, right? Instead of using cash because your cash may be better suited somewhere else. You may have better opportunity somewhere else. So you still need the debt for the car. Even though it's a depreciating asset, you still need to get that car. There might be a different way where you could finance it and it still makes sense. Right. Um, any other examples of good debts? We talked about using money to grow a business, to grow an investment, or to purchase an investment that grows. Um, offline, we're talking about arbitrage. Uh, so explain that a little bit, what that term means and how that is a good debt. For sure. Yeah, this is such a, a unique term. And I'll try and really simplify this, not, not utilizing debt, but just to explain the definition. So arbitrage would be, let's say I wanted to buy uh, trading cards. And one store was selling those cards for $10. And a store in another city was selling those cards for $12. So arbitrage can be created when I can purchase these cars for cards for $10. I'm going to then drive to the other city and I'm going to sell it over here for $12. So the arbitrage is the spread. I know I can make $2 off of whatever I'm buying over here. I can go over here and I know I'm going to make a 20% return on that money. So we're looking at the spread. What can I buy for and purchase for, or sorry, buy for and sell for, and the arbitrage is the spread. So we can do that with debt as well. Maybe our lending cost is 3%, but we know that we can put that money somewhere else where the, the growth on that money is going to be, say, 10% or 6%. Even if it was 4%, you still have that spread there where you're just moving money from one place to the other where you know you're going to be making more you're going to be making more from that movement and I think that money has to be in motion all the time. So it, it's something that we need to look for. This is how the banks function with their money. Whenever money is deposited in a bank, the banks are always looking for arbitrage. Where can we lend that money out? We know that we have an obligation if people park their money here that we need to give them a certain amount of percentage, but then they're going to go to market and try and create their own spread, their own arbitrage, right? I'll give you an example. So let's just say you deposit $1,000 into the bank and their obligation to you is a half percent. So if you leave that $1,000 in there, the bank's going to give you a half percent, right? But then the bank, if they went out and lent that money to somebody else and they could give them, they knew they could get a guaranteed 2.5%, let's say, or 2.7%, let's say. So the spread here, the arbitrage is banks obligated for a half percent, but they know they can go out here and let's say Boo is, they're obligated to give Boo a half percent, but Nick needs to borrow the money. He needs a convenience fee. Nick's convenience fee is 2.7%, right? In that one year. Well, the bank in that spread, that arbitrage, the bank is making 240% because their obligation is a half percent, but they know they can go to market and make 2.7%. So the different, the amount of money they're making in the difference there is 240% for being the middleman because it was none of their money. VU put in the thousand. They were only obligated to give VU half a, half a percent. Nick needed to borrow a thousand. So they took Vu's money, gave it to Nick. Nick is obligated to give bank 2.7%. The bank is making 240% in that transaction. Right. So looking for those arbitrage opportunities can be massive money makers. And you can do that with your own wealth and your own debt. Right. So thank you for explaining arbitrage to us. Um, and 
it's something that we don't think about. You you said something that I think is very very intriguing because we don't think about this intuitively. Money needs to be in movement, otherwise it's dead capital, as you say, because it's stuck somewhere. Um, and we don't think about that. Like I, I when I make uh, when I make a a dollar from work, you know I take that dollar, I put 30 cents on gas, car, mortgage, et cetera. And then I've got 20 cents left. And then I put that 20 cents in a piggy bank and I just watch it grow, right? And I just love to see that it's there's 20 cents sitting there. And then at some point I can roll around in it and smell it and touch it. And I just like to see that 20 cents, right? I think that's how people behave because that's how people do, right? They, they put their money in the bank and they just see that money grow. And then every week, every week they they log they log in and they see there's a little bit more in their bank account and they feel happy they feel fuzzy inside you know, and then next week they see a little bit more they feel even more fuzzy you know more warm but that money is sitting there it's not being used it has no movement it's dead, and so yeah. so the point you're making is very important that a point that we don't think about a lot because we're not accustomed to that type of thinking. Well, and if I could add something really quick to that is the reason why I call it dead capital is because when your money is not doing anything and it's just sitting there, it's parked, you are actually losing money because we're seeing it right now with inflation, right? Inflation was 6% or something in March in Canada. Yep. So if your money wasn't in motion, if it wasn't growing to keep up with just the everyday costs of life, then you're technically losing money. Even though you can see it and, and it's there, it's actually decreasing in value. And you have a silent tax, the silent deadly tax of, of just everyday inflation, right? right? And then there's a rule that can come into play. The rule of 72 is the compound interest rule. And if your money is only growing at a half a percent, Let's say I had $10 in an account, it grew at one, say it was growing at 1%, I had $10 in an account. It's actually going to take 72 years for that $10 to turn into $20. If inflation is 5%, that means my $10 is only going to be worth $5 14 years from now, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm losing the battle here. Like, Dead capital means I'm going further and further and further into the hole if I don't start to get that money in motion, right? right. Staring at a book that just collects dust is not going to teach you anything. You got to open the book. You got to absorb the content and read it. No wonder I know nothing. I bought all those books. It's been sitting there and I, I, I find myself so stupid still. You mean I actually have to crack the book open and read it? Yeah, I mean, you got to read the book, listen to the book, and then the step further from that is just implement. Oh my God, I've been doing it all wrong. <laughs> I just bought it and let it sit on the shelves. So, Sometimes that's good. It looks nice on the shelf. <laughs> it looks nice. You know, I wish I wish we can do what they do in the Matrix. You know, they just plug you into and run a software and now you can all of a sudden do jujitsu or something. That's true. Hey, if we leave Elon Musk uh, with enough time and enough technology, he's going to figure that out. He's gonna, uh, data I'm, upload. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. $40, $46 billion. Why would he want to buy Twitter, right? He, sh he should buy some machine that does that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So coming back to, you know, uh, this is very important because that capital, you know, you're saying if, if your money is not working for you, first of all, you lose the power of purchasing, Right. Your dollar no longer is worth a dollar. The same way um, a bottle of Coke was 10 cents back in the 1950s. And I think I went to, the, to, a, to a shopping mall this week, one of those vending machines, one bottle of Coke was like $5.35. Like, I'm like, oh my God, like who's going to pay $5.35 <laughs> for a bottle of Coke? But anyways, it was 10 cents back in the 1950s. Now it's worth $5 something. So the, the purchasing power of your dollar definitely decreases and gets eroded with inflation. But two, if my money is not making money, then VU has to be making the money, right? And VU has to go to do night shifts, has to you know break his back, break his hands, develop shoulder tendonitis, develop hand finger tendonitis, 
you know, develop back pain, knee pain, whatever it is to do all those shifts to make the money because my money is not making money, right? I, that's another good point. Yeah. Well, and you, and you nail it. So, I mean, the utilization of properly utilizing debt is using other people's money. It's money you don't have yet, or your money's tied up in another opportunity and you need a dollar to do $3 worth of work. Like money doesn't get tired. It's not like people. There's no WSIB or workers comp for money. We can work money as hard as we want. So if we can make $1 do $3 worth of, of work, that's the idea of leverage and getting other people's money in motion there and our own money in motion. And you know, one of the greatest books that opened my eyes to, to the various ways of earning income was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh my and God, you're such talking a great about, book. Yeah, you're talking about it right now, active versus passive income and and all that stuff. So any listeners that haven't read it, I would say get on that book, audio, visual, however you learn, but try and absorb that content and take those principles and bring that into your life. And you'll start to see that debt can be your best friend as long as it's structured properly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, in that book, there's something else that is very important that has a very similar corollary to what we're talking about here. We're talking about good debt, bad debt, right? And in that book, they talk about what's an asset and what's a bad asset, right? And so the two come together. We'll talk about that in just a minute when we talk about bad debt, right? So what's a bad debt? Well, bad debt is a bad asset. <laughs> so you use money to buy a bad asset. So we'll define that in just a minute. Okay, so other, uh, other examples of good debt that you've come across or you've helped clients with uh, to use other people's money to leverage multiple times. So to make your money not work once, but make your money work three times, that's leveraging. Uh, so what other examples can we use debt to make it grow, to make our net worth grow? What other examples do you have? Sure. I mean, a little bit more complex strategy, because I know we're, we're on a podcast sort of tailored towards uh, medical professionals that, you know, you can do things like with your business, for example, you may have a need for something like life insurance. Maybe you need that, right? You, you have a need there to purchase a life insurance product. Life insurance can also be a great wealth creation tool. And there's ways where you can do something like finance your life insurance. So we can utilize money to, to, to go into a life insurance product, but we're going to finance it using the insurance company's money because they're going to right away lever, give us our money right back in the form of debt. So that, that's a way of calling financing life insurance. So you have a need for it, but you don't want to tie up your money there right now because maybe you need it over here for business operations or something else, some other opportunity. So why not finance that life insurance, right? We're going to use the insurance company's money to finance that vehicle instead of our own. And that's another form of, of utilizing a good debt for an asset that you need, life insurance asset within the corp for whatever needs you're trying to cover. But you can finance it with the insurance company's money and keep your money working in another area. Maybe you have a pension plan you're, you're putting your money in or another type of vehicle that you're parking your money in. You, you've got my spine tingling right now because you, I think you know how much I love to talk about insurance. So you've just got my spine tingling. Absolutely. Uh, financing a life policy is a, an, a, an alternative uh, and you're using debt for that. So I think you're referring to the uh, immediate financing uh, arrangement, um, which we have a podcast on, by the way. So thank you for bringing that up. So listen to that podcast on IFA, which will come out really, really soon. Uh, you mentioned using debt also to uh, contribute to your pension and your pension is an asset and you can use also leverage to finance that pension. So those are other good examples. Now, I'm going to leave the uh, example of the HELOC, the example of the debt conversion and Smith maneuver to a later discussion, but we'll come to it. Before we talk about that, let's now dive into bad debt. What, like, what is a bad debt? So if good debt exists, let's define what bad debt is. Sure. I mean, the most obvious one that seems to come up a lot is consumer debt. So... I'm going to borrow money to go purchase a big screen TV because I love watching football and I want my nice big screen TV. Financing long-term or paying a massive convenience fee 
on something like a TV, which might be worth 2000 today, but it's worth 500 next year. That would be an example of, of improperly utilizing debt. Now, how you could spin that to make it so that becomes good is maybe use a credit card where you're actually given a convenience of, of, a, of a month before you have to actually pay any debt back. So there really is no convenience cost. So if you wanted to use debt to buy a consumer product, but pay it off right away within three, four weeks, then it can become a good debt. But if you're going to long-term finance that consumer depreciating asset, not a great one. Another one would be uh, like flipping vehicles. You know, you're purchasing a vehicle using entire, entirely using financing. And the moment you drive this vehicle off the lot, it's dropped 20%. And then the next year you're going to go in and you're going to finance another vehicle. So you're in this kind of debt compounding of never really owning a vehicle, always having a vehicle that's worth less than what you owe. And it becomes just a hamster wheel trap. So I would say that's improperly utilizing uh, debt. That would be a bad, a bad financing debt uh, would be, would be, you know, the vehicles and, and consumer products. Yeah, I like those examples. And it comes back to rich dad, poor dad. So Robert Kiyosaki defined as an asset, something that increases in value, right? In your example, I bought a Maserati that's worth 100000 today. I drive it off the lot today <laughs> and it's worth 70000 I just lost 30% because I just drove it off the lot, right? And so that is an asset that depreciated. And so if I use money or worse, I use someone else's money that I paid a convenience fee for an asset that just dropped in value, not increased in value, that's a bad debt. So essentially what you're saying is if you're going to use people's money and you're going to use other people's money, make sure that you're putting that money to good use so that, so that whatever you're purchasing, a business, a machine to operate your business, a machine to produce another widget, uh, an insurance product, a policy, a house, whatever it is, that the asset increases in value, increases your net worth, brings in an income as opposed to depreciate over time, right? So that for me, when I put the two together is what I really define as a bad asset and a bad debt. Absolutely, yeah. And, and different people will say different things around purchasing a vehicle, for example, and they're saying, well, hey, I need a vehicle. Well, this kind of let, leads a little bit, we won't dive too deep into it today, but for example, if you had an asset where you could sort of, borrow the money yourself and finance your own vehicle. So you're still financing it, but you're controlling the financing. That might be a different way to purchase that vehicle. So for example, if you used a home equity line of credit or you borrowed off an insurance policy, instead of paying Ford credit or whoever, you could pay yourself, pay back your own assets. So you still need to make the purchase. You're just flipping the script. So now you're the bank and you're the bank owner in the operation. And if you know anybody looks up concepts like infinite banking or cash flow banking or be terms your, like be your that, own bank, be your own bank. That's kind of what that concept is is all about. Where your money never actually breaks compounding, and you're sort of borrowing from your own asset to purchase a depreciating asset and paying yourself back or paying your own you know lending back. Um, that that can be a, a way to turn a a bad borrow or, or a bad asset to uh, not, not a bad asset, you're, you're purchasing something that's considered a depreciating asset, then you may want to flip the script and sort of finance it yourself internally. And, th and then it could end up being positive on the flip side. Right. So the concept of infinite banking or banking on yourself or be your own bank, uh, that comes from, you know, the cash value sitting a whole life policy which also I have a podcast on and, and you guys can listen to that as well. But, you know, just talking about the car itself, you know, I need a car. I mean, I need to drive from point A to point B. Fair enough. But, you know, there are many ways to, you know, get that car. I can pay it cash. I can finance it to Ford Canada or, you know, Maserati Canada, or I can lease it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in my mind, you know, if I could do the bank on your 
on yourself or be your own bank, I think that would be, in my mind, the best way of doing it because I still need the car to drive from point A to point B. But for me, you know, borrowing from Ford or Maserati Canada to pay for that asset that I own that depreciates doesn't make sense. I'd rather just lease it. Now, to lease it, of course, I'm paying that convenience fee, that interest rate. Of course, I'm paying for that. But the money that I did not pay for that car, I used that money to put it into the market and made a 7%. I just made arbitrage, right? To your, back to your point. So if I can do that and still own my car to drive from point A to point B, and I can do that without, without you know, using my own money and losing that way, then that type of debt, in my mind, would be a good debt, right? Because I'm not, I, I did not lose opportunity, right? I, I paid a small convenience fee, but to have an opportunity to invest that money somewhere else that made that spread. So even in a car, even owning a car, owning, I'm doing quotes, to have a car from point A to point B doesn't necessarily have to be a bad debt if we finance it properly. Exactly. Yeah. And you, you bring up a great point with leasing. A lot of people are comfortable with that convenience cost of leasing because it's the same as renting a condo or renting an apartment. You don't want to be responsible for all the upkeep of the property. You just want to be living there at a convenience for a cer certain set cost. And if anything goes wrong, it's somebody else's responsibility. That's a lot like leasing vehicles. And there's different ways where you can structure that if you happen to have a business or you're self-employed where you can pay for that with before tax dollars up to certain amounts. So now you're actually, the convenience fee you're paying for the leasing is really a small uh, convenience fee when you're comparing it to the amount of money you saved in taxes because you bought it with pre-tax or paid it with pre-tax dollars. That's your arbitrage spread right there, right? So it, it, I think if you follow the money and follow the math, you'll be able to figure out, is this a good debt versus a bad debt? Right. Um, just specifically to leasing, I have a podcast on that, believe it or not. And, and you know, the tax deductions and the tax write-off is simpler for a lease than it is for a depreciating cost of your car. So as a healthcare professional, if you are incorporated, it is easier to track the tax deductions of a lease than it is to track the tax depreciation of a car had you bought it cash. So for many reasons, the convenience fee or the interest rate that you're paying is sort of minimal in comparison to all the other tax benefits. And so leveraging that way, using debt that way may not be a bad idea. So I, I don't buy into the concept, into the idea that we all have to pay everything for cash or with cash. Because by paying everything with cash or by paying everything upfront, we do have opportunity costs that we let go. Yeah, and you can mathematically calculate that opportunity cost, you know, by, by taking, say, $50,000 and parking it into a car. Well, the convenience cost of just renting that vehicle, the tax deductions that came from the leasing versus and taking that 50000 and putting it somewhere else. I mean, mathematically, it always comes out where it makes more sense not to pay cash almost every time. I, I, don't, I have not seen a case yet where it makes sense to pay cash for a vehicle if you can create you know, various tax deductions and, and utilizing leasing and things like that. Of course, of course. I mean, people have to work out the math and work out the calculations. Obviously, you know, um, you do this enough that you've done enough of the math to know that it is true. Um, and you come, you, I keep coming back to what you said about being emotional, right? It is, it is very true when you said people behave a certain way because of emotions, right? I, I like to pay for my Maserati, a hundred grand in cash. My, I own the Maserati. It's mine. I can sleep it with it. I can touch it. I can lick it, whatever I want. Um, <laughs> and, but if I, if I leased it, it's not mine. It's, it's like, it's the banks or it's Maserati Canada. And, and, and I don't have that enjoyment. Right. But mathematically it always comes better the other way. Right. And so 
it's it's that it's that emotion that creates how we make decisions. You know, I read this many times and in, in leadership courses, people make decisions based on emotions and then they rationalize it. Right? Yes. I would agree uh, and with that. every single decision. Um, and so thank you for proving me right against the other gurus that are out there. So I'm not a guru, but I'm still right on this one. <laughs> yeah, very true. And, and funny enough, if you actually create your own financing and say you were to take your borrow your money from your dead capital house asset, or you had money in cash value life insurance, you went and go bought the car, you are actually buying the car cash. You do own that car cash, right? Yeah. So if that's what you need to do to feel good about it, I still think the financing function there should be there because it's going to make more sense for you to have your money in motion somewhere else. And if mentally that makes you feel like you own it and you don't owe anybody else money, then maybe that's the, the path that you take. Right. And so definitely different, definitely there are different ways of financing it. But in my mind, paying cash uh, from, your, from your savings account is probably not the best way, right? If you want to pay cash using the cash value inside your life policy and be your own bank, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I'm not okay with using the cash from your savings account to buy the cash of the Maserati, right? That for me doesn't make sense. Well, boys and girls, we're going to pause the discussion here. This is a very long podcast and discussion with Nick Giovanetti. And so because of that, I'm splitting this discussion into two so that I give you guys a break and reflect on the learning here today. I welcome you to join us next time on part two as we continue our discussion with Nick. I hope you have enjoyed the learnings and the different golden nuggets here today. And if you have, please share it with your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, your cats, and your dogs. If you do have any feedback or comments, please email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. And I am looking forward to seeing you guys next time. How is my financial health, Doc? podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.